Good morning, gang. Good to be with you and worship Jesus with you and be in his word. So with that, let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 4, as we make our way through this awesome gospel in the New Testament. Sometimes the, uh, the greatest mysteries are solved by one little missing piece. You've probably heard of the Rosetta Stone, not the language software, but the actual <laughs> stone that it was named for. Uh, there were many and continue to be archaeological finds from ancient Egypt, but what we may take for granted is for hundreds of years, uh, scientists were finding things in ancient Egypt but could not make sense of it because they could not decipher the hieroglyphics that were written on all of these uh, different artifacts. And so it, it just so happened it was discovered by accident in 1799 while Napoleon was up to no good. Uh, his, his soldiers stumbled across this large piece of volcanic rock and it had some strange inscriptions on it. Well, the reason this was so important is that it was from ancient Egypt, and it not only had hieroglyphics that scientists had seen before, but it had two other lines parallel to it in different languages that actually deciphered the hieroglyphics. So with that one find, thousands of years of history were unlocked in a moment. Here in the Bible today, we, we have come across a text of Scripture, a Rosetta Stone of sorts in the Bible, where the mystery of the kingdom of God is being revealed. And it's being revealed in a most unlikely way through parables. Jesus often taught in parables, and the parable that we come to today is the parable of the seed and the sower. One of the reasons this is so important is this parable is a key to all of the other parables that will come later for us to understand. So with that, we're going to unpack verses 1 through 20 of Mark 4, but let's begin just by reading verses 1 to 9, and then we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the amazing gift of your word. We thank you for the mystery of the gospel that is revealed to us. We celebrate you today, Lord. 
And with that, we are reminded that apart from your help, we cannot understand these deep things. And so we ask for it now. Would you meet us, Holy Spirit, with fresh eyes, with hearts that are not simply ready to understand, but hearts that need transformation? Would you do that today as we worship you, Lord Jesus, in your word? Amen. Now, this parable of the seed and the sower, and when you saw the title or heard the message, you probably thought, oh, I've heard that a million times. I know where this is going. And truly, it is a familiar parable. But I want to give you a challenge this morning. Just for a moment, imagine that you don't know what this parable is all about. Imagine for a moment you're one of the people crowded on the beach listening to Jesus teach this for the very first time. It would have been basically something like this. Jesus says, there's a farmer who went out to his field. He he scattered some seed. On most of the ground, nothing grew. And then on some of the ground, there was a really big crop. And then as if with a wink, he says, now, go think about that. And that's it. When it came to that parable, in that moment, with that crowd, that's all he said. Now, for some, that may have been very profound, but I think it would be safe to say most people left scratching their heads. Well, what was that about? Maybe there were some farmers in the group that said, okay, yeah, well, that reminds me, I need to go plant a crop. I mean, imagine, imagine in our setting, I get up and I say, hey, I went fishing, and I, I went to my favorite spot, and it, the weather was great, and I used the wrong bait, and I didn't catch anything. And then I used the right bait, and I caught a bunch of fish. Think about that. (laughs) Now, Jesus wasn't quite that awkward, I'm sure, but I I think it's important for us to pause and just kind of think on the awkwardness of these moments. It's easy for us because we have it written down. We can just skip a few verses and read, of course that's what it meant, and we pretend we knew it all along, as opposed to in that moment, people are being told stories, and Jesus would say, Now, if you're really listening, you'll get it. And then he moves on to something else, or he walks away. And so we don't find out the meaning until Jesus explains it to his disciples, who were just as confused as anybody else in the crowd that day. Now, whenever Jesus teaches in parables, that word parable literally means to set alongside. Picture the Rosetta Stone and the lines set alongside that bring meaning. It means to set alongside, as in parallel, So in order to make a point, a teacher would tell a story or a similar situation that he would kind of lay out, and he would lay it alongside maybe a moral point that he was trying to make. But with Jesus, these were not simply stories to make a moral point. They were stories to reveal himself. That was the point. But most people missed that. And the only people who understood that were those to whom Jesus revealed himself. Commentator James Edwards says, Parables are like stained glass windows in a cathedral, dull and lifeless from the outside, but brilliant and radiant from within. Parables are not simply good advice. They are good news. For the life of Jesus is itself a parable. Indeed, the greatest parable. Here in the book of Mark, for the first time, we are able to read in its entirety one of these parables that Jesus taught. 
and as he's teaching with this large crowd on the beach, and he pauses, so does Mark. So we see, like we've seen before, kind of the Mark and sandwich. He starts with one story, and then the scene completely changes immediately. Well, that's what happens here. Jesus tells them the seed and the sower story and says, think on that. Boom, Mark takes us immediately now to Jesus being alone with his disciples, just them. And they bring it up, and they say, um, could you tell us what you were talking about? And some gospel narratives that has the disciples even saying, Jesus, why do you teach in parables? Why don't you just speak plainly? I mean, if really, if you've got limited time, why not just go tell everybody in plain language who you are and why you've come? Look at how Jesus responds in verse 11. And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Verse 12, so that, quote, they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. What? Did Jesus really just say that He's teaching in parables so people would not understand, so that they would not know who he was, so that they would not repent? Well, to answer that question, we have to look at what Jesus is quoting. He's quoting from Isaiah 6, a familiar passage at the beginning at least. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. We kind of stop there with the familiar part of that. But look what else it says. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears, their ears heavy and, their, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now what this is not saying is, that there's this, this multitude of people rushing to Jesus, wanting to be saved, and he's saying, nope, not you. That's not what's being said here. Or people who are wanting to be saved and wanting to understand Scripture and, and seeking after God, and God is saying, nope, that's closed for you. That's not what's being said here. What's being said is Jesus is reminding his disciples where all knowledge comes from, especially knowledge about the kingdom of God. And that comes from God himself and no one else. This text from Isaiah that Jesus quotes is actually, actually quoted six different times in the New Testament. And every time it's quoted, it is connected to make the point, man cannot figure out salvation on his own. Jesus is the one who reveals himself to us, and that is why we're saved. Every time that prophet is quoted in Isaiah 6, that is the meaning for it. Now, for us to talk about God's sovereignty and salvation, that, that's not new information for us as a church. We, we preach that, we celebrate that, we praise God for that. But I think it's also safe to say for all of us, it's easy to forget. 
We can sing it. We can amen a sermon about it. We can value books written about it. But in daily life, it can become very easy to forget, become very easy to become self-righteous. Be very easy to think I did something to deserve my salvation. I read this week a pastor wrote about Reformation Sunday. He said, Reformation Sunday is a day we remember how quickly we forgot the gospel. So we preach the gospel over and over as a church, as believers who already trust in Jesus and and already cling to that good news. We have it preached and we listen to it and we preach it to ourselves over and over. Yes, we preach it to the lost, but not just to the lost. We preach it to ourselves. The Christian needs to be reminded over and over why we're saved, who saved us. What caused our salvation? Because the ultimate end of it all is to give God all the glory. That's when it becomes obvious that God gets the glory. It's when we reflect and remember only God is the one who saves. So Jesus, he's telling his disciples with their question about this parable, he makes it really big. And he says, let me tell you about all parables. I'm revealing to you, Jesus is telling them, the secret of the kingdom of God. This is for you. It's not for those outside, he says. Now that should sound familiar if you were with us last week and we were unpacking those verses about Jesus being in Peter's house and Jesus' mother and brothers tried to come find him and they were outside the house and word got into Jesus, hey, your mom and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers? These, pointing to his disciples, these inside those who do the will of my father. That's my family. And it doesn't mean Mary and his brothers didn't trust in God. We know they did, but eventually. But the point is the inside outside picture is meant to be very clear. Jesus is saying those inside, those who know the kingdom of God, the secret of the kingdom of God, it's because Jesus is the one who has revealed it to them. And Jesus was not revealing some hidden moral truth. He was revealing himself. There's the punchline. He is the secret. It wasn't that he had a secret. He is the secret. He is the mystery of God revealed. Who Jesus is. Messiah, son of God. And what Jesus came to do. To die on the cross for the sins of God's people. That's the mystery of the kingdom of God revealed. The mystery that was hidden for thousands of years, now revealed and revealed so plainly to 12 common men sitting with the Savior who could not have have fathomed the importance of that moment. And maybe when you and I heard the gospel for the first time, or maybe we hear the gospel so often Maybe we too miss the significance and the impact and the power of those moments. Jesus is telling them, I am the Rosetta Stone. I'm the key to it all. I'm the one that opens every door in the kingdom of God. I'm the meaning behind every parable. I'm the hero of every story. There it is, laid out for all to see to whom it is shown. Pastor and professor Charles Cranfield says this. 
It is the secret that the kingdom of God has come in the person and words and works of Jesus. That is a secret because God has chosen to reveal himself indirectly in a veiled way. The incarnate word is not obvious. Only faith could recognize the Son of God in the lowly figure of Jesus of Nazareth. The secret of the kingdom of God is the secret of the person of Jesus. If you see that today, rejoice because God himself showed you, which means God himself has changed your heart in order to see his son and trust in his son and be saved by his son. Isn't that good news? Now, Jesus, after telling his disciples about why he teaches in parables, he drills down and actually gets back to the question they asked. And he tells them about this parable. Look in your Bibles, beginning in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Stop there. Jesus is not demeaning them because they're dense. Jesus is saying, if you don't get this parable, which is a key to the rest, you won't get any others. I bet that got their attention. Now look at verse 14. He gives the explanation. Jesus says, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now, remember when Jesus first taught this parable to the common working people and didn't give this explanation and they're listening to a farming analogy? These are people who depended on farming to eat. So Jesus was talking their language. And he's in Israel, which is, it has rich soil, but there's so much desert and rough terrain that farmers knew firsthand how difficult it was to produce a crop. They knew that in order to do so, they had to try to plant on every square inch of land they had, even if it didn't look fertile. And so the farmers would likely scatter seed all over the good soil, but all around it too, that would land in different places. So the people understood what Jesus was saying in the natural. They didn't understand the spiritual meaning. And so here, Jesus, alone with his disciples, takes them step by step. Jesus says, the seed I'm talking about is the word of God. It's the gospel that's being proclaimed. The sower, Jesus says, is the one doing the preaching. In this case, it's Jesus. He's talking about himself. The types of soil are people and their different responses to the gospel. Starting with the path. Why did Jesus use the path? 
Well, since the farmer in Israel didn't want to disturb his crop, he would walk around what was planted. And so therefore, the area around the crop would have been just hardened path that he and other travelers would, would use. And so when the seed would land on this hardened path, of course, it was too hard for the seed to penetrate. And so the birds came along and had a little feast. Jesus says in this parable, the bird represents the devil. That when the gospel is preached to someone with a hardened heart, the truth doesn't take root at all. Jesus probably had in mind the scribes and the religious leaders that he had just rebuked for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But those weren't the only ones with hardened hearts. When Jesus was teaching this on the beach, they were probably hard hearts that he knew firsthand as he taught this. People who had had no affection for God. People were there out of curiosity. People who were there who could tell their relatives, yeah, there's nothing to that guy. Maybe you've run into a hardened heart trying to share the gospel and you get shut down before you can even say the name Jesus. Maybe you were that hardened heart. With the hardened heart, there's no opportunity for the root to dig into the ground. It's too hard. These religious leaders, they didn't repent of their sin because they didn't think they were sinners. They didn't recognize the person of Jesus because they didn't think they needed a Savior. And so they heard Jesus' words with their ears, but not with their hearts. And the devil came along and stole the truth. What about the rocky soil? How is that different? Picture the farmer again as he's preparing his land to plant. He would find the rocks in the ground and he would toss them outside of the plowed area. Well, pretty soon he would have little piles of rocks all around his farm. And as he's scattering seed, invariably seed would fall into these little piles of rocks. And through the cracks, at least the birds couldn't get to the seed. So it gave the seed some time to begin to sprout. This is the person, Jesus says, who hears the gospel. At first they get excited. They, they receive the good news. Maybe they say they believe in Jesus. They, they want to change. They want to turn over a new leaf. But then the emotion of the Sunday service fades when Monday comes, when they go back to work or go back to school. And they find out that being a Christian isn't easy, and it certainly isn't popular. Friends make fun of you. Coworkers whisper about you. Bosses overlook you for that promotion. And your neighbors politely avoid you. And after a while, for some, it just doesn't seem worth it anymore. The trials and persecutions that come with being a Christian can sometimes just be too much. At first, they try to defend what they believe. Then they start compromising what they believe. Then they abandon what they believe. Now, to be clear, this person was never truly saved. The gospel didn't take root. Maybe there was mental agreement, but there was never heart transformation. The third type of soil, the thorny soil. This is the person who hears the gospel, receives the good news of who Jesus is, but the gospel eventually loses its luster. And that could be over a period of years. It's great the first time you heard it, but then church gets boring, singing gets boring, preaching gets boring, the Bible gets boring. 
And the reason for that is not what's going on around you, but what's going on inside you. Something else has your attention. Something else has your affection. Jesus says it's the love of the world, which means the pleasures and the influence and the lifestyle of those who don't follow Christ, along with the love of money and the love of stuff. These being, these in the, in the crowd are, are hearing Jesus say this, but it's not landing on them unless he's revealing it. The people who are, who are saying they love Jesus, but then the, the love of other things start crowding out that affection that they once claimed for Christ, find themselves too busy now. Too, too busy for God, too, too busy with work, too busy with sports, too busy with hobbies, just too busy. And the gospel that sounded good, it only sounded good as long as Jesus was somebody I could add to my life, not somebody to rule my life. And so whatever growth that seemed to be taking place is eventually choked out. Again, this person was never saved. Their mind was temporarily changed but their affections never were. Now, Jesus isn't talking just hypothetically. Like I said, when he's talking about the hardened soil, there were likely people on the beach with hardened soil. And I would say every one of these types of soils. So Jesus is talking to real people. And then when Jesus was alone with his disciples, he knew full well there was even one among the 12 with bad soil who was going to betray Jesus for a bag of silver. Now, if we stopped here, that would be a pretty depressing parable. But Jesus doesn't, thankfully. He reminds us there is a fourth type of soil, the good soil. This is the person who hears the gospel, receives the truth, believes that Christ died for their sins, and more than just mental agreement, they trust in who Jesus is as Messiah, as the Son of God. They trust in what Jesus has done for them, dying for their sins, rising from the dead, calling them to follow him. They're bearing fruit of repentance in their life. That's a person with good soil. But now here's a question. How does the farmer in the parable ultimately know that that particular soil is good. He knows because it's fruitful. Even in some of the bad soil, something grew for a while, but in the end, whatever grew did not produce fruit. It remained, Jesus said, unfruitful. The good soil does produce fruit. The one small seed that is planted of the gospel. That seed grows and, and takes root and sprouts and flourishes and eventually produces fruit, which by definition produces other seeds. And when those seeds are planted in more good soil, then more fruit is produced and more seeds are planted and more sowers are doing the planting. And that's the supernatural multiplied harvest Jesus is talking about. One seed of the gospel planted in one patch of good soil will produce a crop so far beyond what that one little seed could do on its own that it blows our minds. Another question, how, how does one become fruitful? What does that even mean? One word we find over and over 
in the book of Mark in this parable is the word used for hearing or to hear. In the first three soils, there's a very specific word used that means a one-time hearing. So for the path and the rocky soil and the thorny soil, that word to hear means they heard it once and that was it. It's it's superficial. It stays on the surface. It's shallow. But the word Mark uses for the good soil, the word for hearing, is an ongoing hearing. Everyday hearing. Over and over. Constant hearing. Never stops. They heard it before. They're hearing it again. They received the good news once, and they're receiving it over and over. Good seeds are constantly being planted in good soil and producing good fruit over and over. It's one thing to hear the gospel. It's another thing to heed it. May we not simply be hearers of the gospel. But to hear and to believe and to obey is the pattern Mark lays out. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to hear the gospel over and over, to believe the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, and to obey what he's commanded. Now, we've heard this morning in many different ways, we're celebrating that we're not saved by works. So I don't want you to hear that when I say that Being a disciple means obeying what Jesus has commanded. Don't hear that as an undue focus on works. But let's also remember this. When good seed is planted in good soil, it will produce good fruit. And according to Scripture, one of those elements of good fruit is obedience to the Lord. By His grace, for His glory. But obedience in following the Lord. Here we have in this one parable a beautiful teaching on the sovereignty of God in our salvation and the responsibility of man to respond. Those are not enemies. Those go together. God sovereignly calls, changes, opens our eyes to who Jesus is, and then gives us the faith to trust in him. But that response must be a response. It is never assumed We must respond to that good news. Remember, Jesus said, who's my family? The ones who do the will of my Father. That's what he pointed to. Good seed planted in good soil will produce a good harvest. And for the Christian, that means that when Jesus truly saves us, what we believe on the inside will eventually show on the outside. That the fruit of the Spirit are going to be evident Love and joy and peace and patience and self-control, that's not just something we feel, that's something others will be able to see. When we follow Jesus and trust in his word, we will eventually tell others about him because we don't want to just be disciples, but we want to make disciples. And that doesn't have to be fancy. It could happen on a Sunday morning in a sermon, but more more than not, it's going to be in a common, everyday conversation one Christian has with another person. You don't have to have all the right things to say. You don't have to be able to answer all of the questions and all the things we build up in our minds. Well, if an atheist ever asked me this, I could never answer it, so I just won't say anything. Don't fall for that trap. You know enough right now with the gospel in you to go out and plant some seed. And God wants to use you for that because he delights in taking the plain like me and you. He delights in taking the average and the common and the ordinary 
We're not drawn in this parable to, to look at the, the common farmer and say, wow, look at that sidearm when he throws the seed. No, we're pointed to the power of the seed itself. We're pointed to the fruitfulness of the soil, and all of that is God's good work. God will use you and me in sharing that good news. This parable is likely the one the Apostle Paul had in mind when he said in 1 Corinthians 3, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You can plant a seed, share the gospel with someone. Maybe it didn't look like it did anything. Maybe they even rejected you verbally. But then somebody else comes along. And little did you know what you said stuck with that person's mind. Because it wasn't your words, it was the words of the Spirit. It wasn't your eloquence, it was the eloquence of God's word, the truth of the gospel. And somebody else that didn't even know you had that conversation comes along and waters that seed. And then God is the one that brings the growth. And that's the whole point. Jesus is the one who saves. He is the chief farmer who sows this seed of the gospel in those that he's plowed their hearts and given them good soil. And so if you've trusted in Christ and you're following him now, realize it is because Jesus took your hard heart, your rocky heart, your thorny heart, and he made it good ground. That he plowed it. Plowing ground can look like a violent endeavor. And maybe you have felt like through your trials and through your persecution and through just just the hardship of life, it may have felt like there has just been damage and trauma done to your heart. Can I suggest perhaps God has been plowing some soil? Perhaps God has been softening your heart to receive his truth. He's the one who plants the seed. He's the one who makes it grow. He's the one who produces the fruit in your life. And he's the one who will use you to share the gospel with others. Let his word do the talking. Let the Holy Spirit do the talking. And we will see a supernatural multiplication of that one seed planted in you become many that are planted in others. And then we will see what it looks like. When the, when the great commission is fulfilled, this is what it looks like, as the Old Testament prophet foretold, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what it will look like when all of this is said and done. When we know Jesus and we make Jesus known to others. When we take the gospel and trust in, in the Lord and we take that gospel and we give it to others. And it all starts with a seed, a seed that Jesus has planted in you. Now, remember, not everybody's going to hear. Not everybody's going to listen. But that's not up to you. That's God's business. We're meant to scatter seed. We're meant to tell others about this good news. And God promised he will save some. How amazing is that? But the first thing I need to ask you this morning as we close, have you received the word? We can't carry seed unless that seed has already been planted in us. Beyond just hearing it every Sunday or listening to it or reading about it or talking about it, beyond that, has the gospel taken root in your heart? Is there fruit of repentance in your life? 
Is there a growing affection? Even when we all fail, we all fall, but is there a growing affection in you for Christ that when we do fall, we get up and we run to Jesus? If not, cry out to him today. It doesn't mean you have a hard heart and there's no hope. If you know that's you and you want it to change, that's evidence God is doing that work in you. It's evidence God's bringing that conviction. Cry out to Jesus. He's ready to plow that heart. And this morning, if you would say, well, pastor, I'm already a believer. I've got this seed planted in my heart, and I'm actually more encouraged now in the gospel than I've ever been. I'm telling people about Jesus, or at least I'm wanting to praise the Lord, then may that be a challenge to us all. Take the seed that has been given to you and do what Jesus did. Befriend the sinner. Find people who don't know Jesus and get involved in their lives. Give them a taste of the goodness of God you've experienced so that they will turn to him as well. Isn't that what we want to be about as a church? That's what our lives and our ministry should really always be about. I know I've told you this, but I need to tell you again. Being a pastor of this church for the last almost 18 years has been one of the greatest joys of my life. Preaching the gospel, teaching, serving with you, hearing you share the gospel, rejoicing in the goodness of God with each other. Some of the greatest joys I'll ever have. But in all of our ministry together to each other and with each other, it's got to go beyond these walls. We are not called to be seed collectors. We're called to be farmers, to take the seed God has given us and give it to others. We're going to fail. We're going to do it haphazardly sometimes, but God will be pleased to use it. Because God has been pleased to save you and to save me. And he saved us to give him glory. And he saved us to spread that glory on the earth. So this morning, because the best thing apart from knowing Christ is to lead someone else to Christ, let us be about that work. And may Jesus be pleased to take that one small seed he's planted in you and me and grow a supernatural harvest for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the faithful one. You are the one that finds us when we were lost. You are the one that softens our hearts when when we were resistant to your grace. You were the one who never gave up on us when we gave up many times because you're just that good. So this morning we rejoice in your goodness and saving us, but we also pray for your help that we would go and spread that seed, that others would be saved and come to know just how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.